0: Our sermon text for today comes from the book of Acts, the second chapter, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you so much for what you reveal to us through it every day. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds now to receive the message. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: All right, good morning, everyone. Everyone good? Excited? Fun? All right, open up your Bible to the book of Acts. book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter 2, it's verses that were just read just then, and today we are taking a look at what is one of the absolute greatest moments that has ever occurred in all of human history. It's a moment that if not for what takes place in Acts 2, we would not actually be here in this place doing much of anything this morning. We'd probably be sleeping in, we'd be fishing, we'd be doing something else if not for what took place in Acts 2. Acts 2 marks the birth of the church and also the launch of the Great Commission. So what we have in Acts 2 is the inauguration of the New Testament people of God and then the people of God being set loose in the world in order to take the good news of Jesus out into the world. So what happened in Acts 2 changed the world in such a way that it would never, ever, ever be the same ever again and the truth is that there are moments that change the world there are pivotal moments that happen that completely change the course of history so 1492 there's this guy it's an italian guy explorer and he gets some funding from the spanish crown and he has an idea i want to go west in order to go east right which which to us makes a lot of sense because we know that the world is round but when you live in a day when most people think that the earth is flat going west to go somewhere east seems a little crazy right and so he takes off him in three little merchant ships so these weren't really designed for as ocean liners the the do you know the names of the three the nina da pinta and the santa maria these were like little tiny boats Little tiny boats. His goal is to head west over the Atlantic to reach Japan. Again, he's heading west to go somewhere east. He ends up in the Bahamas. After about a week at Sandals Bahamas, you know, which I'm sure all-inclusive, he heads back to Europe. He never actually admitted that he went to the wrong place. It's part of the story. But regardless of how comical that may be or accidental, the fact is that that voyage over the ocean in 1492 did what? It changed the world. All right, let's fast forward a couple of centuries. 1776, you get a group of guys all wearing powdered wigs. They get together in a room and sign a piece of paper, a piece of parchment, declaring the independence of a new nation. So these guys, they're delegates from 13 original British colonies. They get together and they sign what is famously known as the Declaration of Independence. And by signing this, they actually give birth to a brand new nation. These delegates from these 13 British colonies declared the sovereignty of these states, of these colonies. And they announced to the British Empire, we will no longer be subject to the British Crown." So it set in motion a cascade of events that led to the birth of a nation that ultimately became the most prosperous and powerful nation that's ever existed. One day, a few guys, powdered wigs, signing some stuff changed the world, right? It changed the world. History is marked by moments that change the world, and there's no greater moment than what takes place in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we have the birth of the church and the launch of the Great Commission, the greatest global enterprise that has ever taken place, the Great Commission. And what is that? That is God sending out his people as delegates into the world to promote a message of hope and peace and grace and love to the world. And and the reason that what Acts 2 did changed the world so profoundly is that in Acts 2, we have the beginning, the beginning of God calling the nations back to himself. That's why it changes the world, that what began in Acts 2 was God beginning to woo People, multitude, nations, continent back to himself. What is so astounding about the moment in Acts chapter 2 is not only that it changed the world, folks, that moment continues to change the world. It changed it, but it continues to change it. It wasn't just a moment, it was the beginning of a movement. Acts 2 continues today it never ended it never stopped it's still at work influencing and affecting and impacting people and nations and tribes and different groups around the world and especially what is so unique about this world changing moment is that it invites us today to be world changers some of you know the song don't sing it right That's old school right there, if you know the song, World Changers, right? But what is so unique, it not only changed the world, it continues to change it, and it continues to change it. It invites us to change the world today. And I'm not talking about humanitarianism, and I'm not talking about social justice issues which are right and good for us to be involved with, because there are atrocities that are taking place, and we should flex our muscle as much as possible to rescue some people out of some plight or some difficulty. There, there's some serious humanitarian work and social issues, social justice issues we should be involved with, but that is not what this is talking about. I'm talking about the single greatest need, addressing the most important need that any person and every person on the planet has. And that is for everyone to have their sin forgiven by God, for every person to know Jesus Christ personally as Lord and Savior, for every person to experience the infinite grace of God's glory, for everyone to have hope, blessed hope, to walk in assurance that they will be with God forever and ever in glory, staring at that amazing, marvelous face that we just sang about. And so God calls us, each of us personally, he invites us to be part of this work, to be part of this movement that started 2,000 years ago of being the hands and feet of Jesus and of shining the light of the gospel in this world. He invites us to be part of that. And that is exactly what the Christians, that first church in Acts 2 did. And if we would just simply do, or follow the example of that first church in the first century in Jerusalem, if we would just embrace the calling to be a great commission people, if we would just own it, folks, we'll change the world. I mean, this little church, this new church is barely three years old. We will absolutely turn the world upside down if we would simply give ourselves to this. It is possible. It's possible if we would flex our muscles. If we would just flex our spiritual muscles, we can bring hope to the hopeless. We can bring joy to the downtrodden. We can bring relief to the oppressed. We can bring comfort to the restless. We could do everything that God would have us to do if we would just simply follow the example of Acts 2. That's it. We can be part of that same movement that not only changed the world, but continues to change the world even today. So let's just do this. Let's just start working our way down this story. Down this story that if you're, if you're one of those that's been in church for a while, for many years, in Bible study or Sunday school. This is one of those stories that may be a bit familiar to some of us. And here's the danger that happens when there's a story or something in Scripture that we're preaching on that's very familiar. We kind of tend to tune out. I heard it. I know it. I know it. So this morning, we, let's, let's apply ourselves to this morning in such a way that we're hearing it for the first time. Because I think that there's something fresh, something new that God wants us to to glean out of this text. So let's just walk our way down this story. It says in verse one, it says that the day of Pentecost had arrived the day of Pentecost. So what is that? What is Pentecost? So Pentecost is a Greek term that was used to refer to one of the Hebrew celebrations that the Jewish people would, would observe throughout the year. So specifically, Pentecost was the Greek term for the Feast of Weeks, or it was also known as the Feast of Harvest. And again, these are three annual celebrations that God commanded his people, the Jews, to observe throughout the year. The first one was the Feast of Firstfruits, the second one was the feast of harvest, which is Pentecost, and the third one was the feast of tabernacles, as it was referred to. And what what would happen is that able-bodied Jewish men had to go to Jerusalem during these feasts and offer sacrifices to God in gratitude to thank God for all of the blessings that God had provided. So, that first one, the first one of the year was called the feast of first fruits. It took place the Sunday after Passover. So think of Passover week, that that it ended, that week ended basically with the first fruits feast on that Sunday after Passover. And then 50 days after the feast of first fruits, 50 days, Pentecost, that's when they would celebrate the feast of harvest or Pentecost, 50 days later. And that's where we are in Acts chapter 2. Got it? Capish? Everyone can map that out, right? You got the timeline? Got it. I got a thumbs up in the back. Wonderful. Let's keep going. So in verse 1, verse 1 here, it says, They are all together. Who is they? Who is they? It's referring to the followers of Jesus. God's people. God's people. Followers of Jesus. They're together. They're together. And this is such an important thing. Theme for us to not only like recognize that it's there, but to actually grab onto. There's a principle here. What you see in the first several chapters of the book of Acts is this recurring theme they're together, 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 they, 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 them, 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 us, 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 over and over together. The principle is that God's people are always together. God's people are always together. And it's important for us to, to recognize that this is true. We are saved by the grace of God in order to be part of the people of God. We're not, called, we're not saved by the grace of God to be independent spiritual uh, workers out there. No, we're called by the grace of God to be part of a community. To be part of the people of God. So we're not called to the incongruity of disunity. And we are not called to the ambiguity of anonymity. But we are called to the congruity of God's community. To unity in community. And I just alliterated the mess out of that on purpose. So thank you very much. Acting. So what you have here is God's people, they're together, right? It's a beautiful picture of family and God's people. It's how it should be, together, praying together, doing life together, all that good stuff. They're together, and then something absolutely, and I think it's fair to use this term, absurd, happens. I'm using the technical definition of that word. It's astounding and amazing what happens. They're together. Look at verses two, three, and four. It says, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing wind. It filled the entire house, divided tongues as a fire appeared and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is the moment that changed everything. Nothing has been the same since that moment that took place here. The first century Christians were baptized with the Holy Spirit. To be baptized means to be united. In that moment, they were united with the very Spirit of God. Hundreds of years of promises and prophecies given by God. Hundreds of years before that God would pour out his Spirit into the hearts of his people. Here in this moment on Pentecost in Acts 2, it's fulfilled. It takes place. God's people are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And just so that you know, the Holy Spirit is not in it it's not in it. The Holy Spirit is God. It's God Himself. It tells us there in verse 2. Make note of this. Where did the Holy Spirit come from? Specifically from heaven. Let me ask you, where is God the Father? In heaven. Where is God the Son? In heaven. Jesus Christ. Just in Acts chapter 1, it tells us that a cloud took Him up into where? Into heaven. And Jesus had told His followers... Several weeks before all of this, he says, "I'm where I'm going, you cannot go, but I'm going to send you another helper, another one just like me, of the same substance, essence, attributes, character, everything. He is me, but not quite. And that is what we see happen here in Acts 2. So that it says that the Holy Spirit came from heaven is to say that the Holy Spirit is? God is God himself. In verse 2, it says that when the Holy Spirit came, the disciples heard what? A sound like a wind, a wind. And in verse 3, it says that they see tongues as of fire. In Scripture, wind and fire are symbols of God. They represent the power, the presence, the holiness of Almighty God. So what do you have here? He's from heaven. They're hearing wind and they're seeing fire. Make the mistake that this is, in fact, God Almighty coming down. Is God, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Holy Trinity. And this is enough to fry anyone's noodle. But there is one God and only one God. And there are no other gods but the one and only true living God. But that one God lives as three persons God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. They are distinct, individual, divine personages that make up the Holy Trinity, the Godhead. Each possesses all of the attributes of God, all possesses, all the character to each belongs, all the glory. They share the same substance, essence, whatever it is that makes up God. They all share it equally. They are all divine. They're not Each other in different forms. They're individual, but there's only one God. Got it? Oh wow. I've got a bunch of head nodding. Boom. Yeah, that should like blow your mind, right? The the very thought of triune God, like we have no way of relating to what that is like, but that's what scripture teaches us: the majesty, the magnificence of this God that we can't describe. Like I don't want to worship a God that I can describe or comprehend. I love the fact that I can't grasp his greatness in infinite nature. So anyway, so in verse three, it tells us that these first century disciples, these Christians, these followers of Jesus, they saw divided tongues. So they saw separated tongues, separated tongues as a fire. And so these tongues of fire, they're representative of the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 3 there that these divided tongues, they rested on each of them. Don't miss that. They rested, these tongues rested on each of them. The great blessing of the New Testament is that all followers of Jesus receive the Holy Spirit. Like, this is a blessing that's not, like, set apart for the super spiritual. For those very few uber-Christians. No, this is a blessing of grace that is bestowed upon all who trust in Christ himself. And, and I think that oftentimes we, we, we fall prey of, of making this very trivial in our minds and in our hearts. And we need to be careful that it not becomes something very common or ordinary to us. The the truth is this truth that God, his spirit would come upon each and every one of us individually as a follower of Christ should drive us to our knees in humble gratitude and in, in humble awe that God would give such a blessing to us. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've given your life to follow Jesus, you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that the very presence of God is with you. The presence of God is with you. The presence of God is with you. His abiding, enduring presence is with you. And His presence is our good. The very thought of Creator God walking with us strengthening our heart and comforting our soul and illuminating our mind, guiding our steps. Is there anything better? No. Nothing is better than the presence of God with us and in us. And in Acts 2 here, Followers of Jesus, they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're united with the Holy Spirit. And this is precisely what Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. He told them, he said, hey, hang out in Jerusalem, hang out for a while, and wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was coming your way. That's what took place. But then in verse 4, we know that something else took place concurrently alongside it. In verse 4, Acts 2, 4, is, we're told that the disciples are what? They are filled with the Spirit. So just know this, that to be baptized with the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as being filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are two different experiences. To be, the, the baptism is a one-time event. It's something that takes place one time. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5 tells us this. It says there is one Lord, one faith, and one what? One baptism. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. One baptism. Baptism with the Holy Spirit is what takes place the moment of conversion, the moment of first initial belief, that that moment when finally a person gets it. Like, I've been hearing about Jesus for a while, but it's like I finally get it. Like, I understand it. He loves me so much, and he actually died for me. And I was a, a sinner. Oh, my goodness. I was condemned in the eyes of God. I was actually on a collision course with, course with his wrath. And here comes Jesus, and he poured himself out for me. I get it now. I give my life to Jesus. I'm going to follow him. That moment, baptism with the Holy Spirit. We are eternally now bound to Christ. Forever secure, right? We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's baptism. But unlike baptism, which happens one time at that moment of first faith, filling is something that's to be repeated. It's something that should be taking place perpetually or on an ongoing basis many, many times repeated over and over and over again. So, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, tells us this says do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but instead be filled with the spirit and the literal translation of be filled is always be being filled like we don't have enough, we don't have enough verbs in our english language to make sense of the original greek that this was written in so it really should say always be being filled why well why should you always be being filled So you know what a colander is? Spaghetti strainer, right? So if you take it and you put it under the tap and you fill it up with water, what's going to happen? The water seeps out. Why? Because it's porous, right? Well, spiritually, we are the same way. Spiritually, we're colanders. We're porous. So we're to be filled, but the only way to be filled is to always be being filled. You follow you got to keep the water running. You got to, the Holy Spirit needs to constantly be filling us if we are going to be filled. It's an ongoing perpetual asking and begging of God to fill us with his spirit and for his spirit to, to do that for us. So, moving on. So here we got the disciples in the first century. They're together, sound of rushing wind, tongues of a fire, rest on each one of them. They're baptized. Now we're told that they're, filled with the Holy Spirit, and what happens? I mean, this is one of those shut-up moments, right? I mean, it really is. Like, how cool would it have been to be with these guys in this moment? Look at verse 4. It says that they begin to speak in other tongues. In other tongues. Miraculously, they're able to communicate in other human languages. And it wasn't because they took a Rosetta Stone course. It was because God suddenly, supernaturally bestowed upon them the capacity to speak other human languages just like that. How would you like to have been one of those guys, right? Like, how cool would it have been to be one of those? Well, so me and Jamie, we moved to Anger just over four years ago. And I lived in Holly Springs before moving to Andrews there for like 15 years. And right around the corner from the house is this uh, small little convenience store. And I like going to the small ones, like the the locally owned places, just to give them, you know, the support. And, you know, you kind of like the mom and pop places. So I'd always go there. And that convenience store was owned by a family from from Pakistan, so I'd walk in and, you know, give my drink or chips or give my gas or whatever, and they're always speaking, but I, I couldn't understand what they're saying. I don't speak Pakistani, right? I speak English, or at least a Harnett County version of it, right? I can speak Spanish, a little bit of jive. I've been known to speak a little jive from time to time. But, but you know, that's it. I don't speak Pakistani. All right, so folks, true story. Ready? I walk in one day. And a couple ladies are working at the register, and I'm turning to the drink aisle, and I hear them speaking, and I promise you, promise you, they're not speaking English, and I understood every word. And in that moment, I about came out of my skin. What? Like, I'm having an Acts 2 moment. I turned around. Well, they had hired two new ladies who were Hispanic, and they were talking Spanish. So, so it was a big wah, wah, wah. I thought I'd experienced a miracle. And clearly on that day, I, did, I actually did walk out laughing. I don't think I got what I went there for because it happened so fast. I started laughing, and I just walked out the door. All right. I did not experience a miracle like that that day, but let me tell you this: There's Christians in the first century did. They experienced a miracle like that on that day. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They run out of the house that they've been like, keeping house in. They run out, and they go out, and they start speaking to the people out in the crowd in specific languages, in these other languages. And remember that this is Pentecost, right? It's the harvest. Uh, it's the feast of the harvest. So all these people are in town that otherwise would not be there. It tells us there in verse 5 that there are devout Jewish men in Jerusalem from every nation. There were Jews that lived abroad and in other places. or They were raised there, and they had different languages. So, But every year, three times a year, they would make their way back to Jerusalem. And that's what you have here. And those Jews who had been born in other places, who've traveled back to celebrate this specific feast on this day... It tells us in verse 6, look at the end of verse 6. It says, we're hearing these people, they're hearing their people in his own language. Now, here's what's interesting. That word language there is better translated dialect. So, it's not just that, not that anyone there is speaking English. That's not one of the languages there. But, it's as if if people spoke English, someone spoke Creole English and someone spoke Harnett County English, and someone spoke Bronx English. And let me tell you, those are very three, right? They're still English, kind of. But (laughs) but they're English, but they're very specific dialects, right? That is what these disciples are able to do on this day. They're speaking a dialect, each one speaking different languages and different dialects of different languages. So, So here come these people. They're hearing these uneducated Galileans, these uneducated Israelites, all of a sudden speaking foreign languages out of nowhere. And it's no wonder that we see in verse six that they are what? Bewildered. And in verse seven, they are amazed and astonished. And in verse 12, it says that they are amazed and perplexed. And isn't that fair? Isn't it fair for them to have that response? Like, nothing like this has ever happened in human history. That people just spontaneously now can speak other languages and dialects. This is is an amazing thing. I think we would be amazed and perplexed and, and, and astounded as well. All right, so then this begs a question. When they went out to speak in these other languages, what were they speaking? Like, what were the words coming out of their mouth? Look at verse 11. It says, they spoke of the mighty works of God. Literally, they spoke of the greatnesses of God. So here's what happens. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're able to speak in other languages. And what they do is that they go out and worship among the people. They're declaring the the mighty works of God, the greatnesses of God. They're worshiping among the people. They're giving praise to God. In public, follow me here, because we can't miss this. The purpose of being filled with the Spirit is to speak. The purpose, the purpose of why God fills us with His Spirit is in order to speak. Every time, with only one exception in the book of Acts, every time. That God's people are filled with the Spirit, they speak. And they speak specifically of the greatnesses of God. They share the gospel. They impart upon others this testimony, this witness of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, that he died for them and that he was buried and that on the third day that he rose again. To be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit, the purpose is to speak. To speak lovingly and boldly of the awesomeness and the goodness of God. That's the point. That's the purpose. So in this unique Acts 2 moment, God grants these, these guys this ability, or in women as well, this ability to speak of the mighty deeds of God. And they do so in mighty languages. So again, let me just summarize it. They're together. Holy Spirit comes, baptized, and they're filled. They're filled to the point in this situation where they're now actually speaking in other languages. What are they speaking? Greatnesses of God in public, not just in their little circle, right? Out among the people. Why? To change the world. Why? It was to launch the Great Commission. Conditions are perfect here for launching the Great Commission commission i mean just back up a little bit jesus came to this world and gave a perfect example of how we're to live and then jesus lovingly goes to a cross and there he sacrificed himself for us to perfectly pay for our sin for the wages of sin is death and so jesus dealt with that perfectly on the cross And then Jesus, he dies and he's buried. But on the third day, he's raised again, proving that he is the perfect son of God and that he's champion over sin and death and darkness. And so Jesus then ascends up to heaven to perfect heaven, and he sends the Holy Spirit to be God's perfect presence among his people. And on this specific day, on this Pentecost, Thousands of people from around the world have gathered in Jerusalem. Conditions are perfect. And so this small, ragtag group of Christians, they go out and they start declaring the gospel to other people. And what happens is they launch the greatest enterprise that the world has ever known or ever will know. God's people declaring the greatness of God. And make no mistake here whatsoever that being filled with the Spirit is not for our personal kicks. You know, some people try to manipulate the Holy Spirit as if you can manipulate or control the Holy Spirit as if He's just given to us to make us feel good, like some some kind of pet pill. Like, no, being filled with the Spirit is not for the sake of us getting our personal kicks. We are filled with the Spirit for the sake of God's mission in this world. That's the purpose. That's the point of it. It is to woo people back to God. That's the mission. That's, every, that's what God is after. That's what God is after. So he invites his people to be part of what it is that he is after himself. Woo people, woo nations back unto himself. The purpose of being filled with, is to speak that we may reap a harvest that we may reap a spiritual harvest all right check this out acts 2 takes place when pentecost which is also known as the feast of harvest stay with me the feast of harvest takes place 50 days after the feast of first fruits right The Feast of First Fruits takes place on the Sunday right after Passover. Back up seven weeks from this Pentecost, what happened? Jesus was crucified. And on that Sunday, the Sunday after Passover, what happened? Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead on which day? The Feast of First Fruits. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Jesus is specifically referred to as the First Fruits. Well, when you hear first fruits, what comes to mind? What does that imply? There's going to be second fruits and thirds and fourth breakfast and so on. You're going to have more fruits to come after the first fruits have come. In other words, there's going to be a what? A harvest harvest. A harvest. Jesus is raised. Jesus himself, the first fruits of the resurrection, is raised on the feast of first fruits. And 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the feast of harvest, what happens? They reap a harvest, folks. If you to look at at Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it tells us that 3,000 souls were saved on that one day. A harvest began in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people gave their lives to follow Christ. They repented of their sin. They believed in who Jesus is. They gave their life to follow him. That is a a harvest. And that harvest continues to this day. That harvest did not end back then. It continues to this day. Acts 2 didn't just change the world. It continues to do what? It continues to change the world. And just like God did in the first century, he uses his people to do that. He uses us to accomplish the very same harvest that he's after. And just know this, that the real miracle of Acts 2 is not that the people spoke in other languages. That's not the real miracle. The real miracle is that people came to believe in Jesus. See, a lot of times as Christians, we get caught up on the profound, like the, the, the this next level events. Oh, if only I could speak in other tongues. Just know that whenever you share any truth about God to anyone, that speech is just as profound as anything those Christians said 2,000 years ago in a different language. It is all about commuting, communicating truth regardless of the language. The real miracle was that 3000 people gave their life to Jesus and we can be part of the same harvest today but before that can take place what needs to happen We need to speak You've got to speak, and this is our role in the world. This is our gig. This is what we do. This is what we've been commissioned to do. Not to belittle people with our language, not to condemn them or, or shame them. No, our duty in this world is to share goodness and grace and love with loving boldness to declare the rightness of God and, and the sacrifice of Jesus and the hope that there is in the light of the gospel. That is our job, and we, Scripture tells us that for people to believe, they must first hear. Hear, but how can they hear unless someone tells them, unless someone shares the truth with them? Our job is to speak, is to speak. And in our speaking, in our sharing, in our conversation with people, it is to lead them to a decision. It's to lead them to a decision. So here in verse 12, we see that these people were led, led to a decision. They, they, they were led to a question. They're hearing these Christians speaking and talking about God, and in verse 12, they said, what does this mean? It's a good question. Like, if, you're, if someone's, like, hearing about God for the first time or maybe the hundredth time, but they're finally getting it, what does this mean? Like, it's a good question. And sadly, some people mock. Like in this story, if you look at verse 13, some people mocked it saying, oh, it's just because they're drunk. Just because they're drunk. They're speaking other languages because they're drunk. I, I got it. Listen, you know what? I, I've, got a, I've got a past. I've been around drunk people. I've been around angry drunks. You know, the violent ones, the mean ones. I've been around the silly ones. You know, what? everything's just laughter and fun and, you know, silly and stupid. I've been around the sentimental drunks. I love you, man. Like, I've been around those. I've never been around the person who tied one on and all of a sudden was able to speak Mandarin. (laughs) Could you imagine the ad campaign for that beer or that liquor today? Tastes great, less filling, speak Mandarin. Like... (laughs) Like it, would change, it would just change everything, like if that were the case. I've never, like it doesn't happen, right? So why in the world would people in that moment, these people can't speak this language, but they're speaking it, oh, it's because they're drunk. Why in the world would someone think that that's the case? I'll tell you why. We see this all the time. There are always those people who are doubters and haters. There are always those people in the crowd who look to explain away the things of God. No matter what the data shows, no matter what the proof or the evidence is, they look for ways to dismiss it. No, that can't be of God. I want to look for a naturalistic cause. I want to look for something worldly and earthly. that better explain this because it surely cannot be a God doing it. So, Real famously, Francis Crick. Francis Crick is a British molecular biologist. Genius of a man. Brilliant man. He co-discovered the structure of the DNA molecule, the double helix. That's him, right? Nobel laureate. Well-known. Written books. I mean, accredited in every way. Brilliant. So several years ago, he comes out, and he actually said this. He's like, the earth is not old enough for life to have arisen. This guy knows his junk, right? He knows his, his biology, his molecular biology, his biochemistry as well. He does that, right? And he says, the earth, even by the most liberal of dates... Like if you say that it is like trillions of years old, which it can't be, but if it is true, the earth is not old enough. It hasn't been around long enough for the first like carbon molecules to have come together to create the first protein. And for that protein then to lead to the first single cell organism that then somehow evolved to multi organisms that then differentiated tissues and then blah, 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 blah man. Like he, he literally confessed. He's like the earth is not old enough for that to have happened. All right, well, I could have told you that. Anyway, without all of that, but anyway. But then this is how he explained it. See, there must be no evidence, no evidence. He says there must be another world somewhere else in the universe that's much, 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 much older than ours where life originated and then somehow either some alien or some weird comet like went by and picked some up and brought it to earth and implanted it here. This incredible, brilliant mind can't get out of his own way. There's always the haters. There's always the doubters. There's always those people that are looking to dismiss the things of God. However, there are always those that are ready to listen. There are always those that are open to the conversation. There are those that, in fact, will believe. But we don't get to them unless we speak. You don't get to them unless you speak to them. So today, each and every one of us, each and every one of us, we have an opportunity. We are invited by God to be part of changing the world for the better. And this is how we do it. One person at a time. See, God doesn't call you or me to change the world. He calls us to be available, to be used by him right where we are around the people that we're around. We change the world one person, one relationship at a time. So for the sake of the glory of the God who loves you, for the sake of the eternal good of other people, will you speak? and to put it into a very, very anthem language. This is something we've been saying for like three years now. Will you practice some frangelism? Not evangelism, but frangelism. F-R-A-N. So you make a list of your friends. Your friends, your relatives, your associates, your co-workers, and your neighbors. You make a list of some people that you believe or maybe you know don't have a relationship with Jesus. And what you do is that you commit. I'm going to pray for these people every day. And I'm going to pray specifically that they would become a follower of Christ. And you pray to God, God, could it be, maybe, possibly, by the kindness of your will, that you would let me be the person that would let, that lead them to faith in Jesus? right? And then you pray to God, said God, give me opportunities to enter into spiritual conversations with, with these individuals. However it may be, it doesn't have to be anything weird. It's just normal conversation. what you do this weekend? I play golf. what you do this this weekend? Man, I went to church. It was really cool. It was fun. It was fun. I learned something. You know, I'm, I'm growing. Like, what, uh, how's your life going? Oh, my life is tough. How's your life going? My life is tough, too. But you know what? I, there's a God that loves me and knows me, and, and he's helping me through it. Like, how do you get through it? See, that's normal. That's, how, that's normal talk. Right, so you make this list of friends. you pray for them. You're praying for opportunities to talk to them, to enter into these conversations, right? And then you're asking simultaneously for the boldness to talk to them because God opens the door often. And a lot of times we kind of hesitate and back off, right? So no, pray in advance that God would give you the boldness to do so. And then as you're having the conversation, invite them into discipleship. Now watch me here. I'm not saying to actually tell a person... Uh, will you now let me do, disciple you? Right? Like, no one talks like that. What we're saying is, oh, man, you're going through this, this marriage issue. Like, You know what? what would it be all right? Like, I, I think the Bible says some stuff about this. What if we get together for coffee every other week and, and talk about this? Maybe, maybe there's something that, that I know from Scripture or the Bible says, and, and maybe God will use me to, to share some stuff that may help you. And just you, you leverage the relationship, and it's just normal conversation. Right? You know, or it's a situation where someone's like kind of curious. He's like, hey, come to Bible study. Come to small group. Because there's some people that are going through the same thing that you're going through. And there's just something about knowing that we're not in life by ourselves. And other people who've been there, they, they can help us and, and walk with us through this stuff. And then lastly, and I put it lastly on purpose. Invite them to church. You know, our goal is not to have a room full of church attenders. Our room is a church full of disciples. And there is a difference. There is a difference. And they're not, it's not a zero-sum game. They're not mutually exclusive. But the reason I put that last is that a lot of people have this tendency, I invited someone to church, so I've done the Great Commission work. Well, inviting someone to church is not the same thing as leading them to Jesus. Right? It's not the same thing as sharing your testimony or, or explaining the gospel. It's kind of passing the buck, you know, in a way. Now, it's right, and it's good, and it's proper to invite people to church because, like I said earlier, we're saved by the grace of God to be part of what? The people of God, right? So it's a a package deal. It's a package deal. We don't want the ambiguity of anonymity, and we don't want the incongruity of disunity. No, we want unity in community. We want continuity in in community, right? So we want that. So that's part of it. But it's not the only part of it. And in this day and age, there are more and more people that are less and less likely to just step into a worship service. For whatever reasons, there's hesitation, stuff in the back in, from their past. Or maybe it's just bad, um, bad opinions about what church is. So these days, it may take more than one invite. It may actually take a season of you purposely walking with them through life and discipling them. And then finally, they'll give it a chance. And then finally, they see the beauty of what Christian community is but it requires the relationship so here's the audience participation of this morning and i want you to speak god fills us with the spirit in order to speak so i'm 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 actually calling you to speak this morning do you believe in god do you believe in god do you believe that he is a god of glory and of grace do you believe that God loves you with an unshakable love? Do you believe that God loves you so much that he sent his own son to die for you? Do you believe that Jesus, in the greatest sacrifice ever known, gave himself on a cross to pay for your sins that you may be spared forever? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he died and on the third day he rose again in power? Do you believe that at now believing in who Jesus Christ is, That there is a better, glorious future for you, secured through the blood, the shed blood of Christ. Do you believe that Jesus makes all things new? Speak. Speak. Pray that you and our church family would be filled with the Spirit that we may speak with love and with boldness. Pray it. Pray it every day. Pray that we would go into our workplace and into our home and into our cul-de-sac and at the ball practice field or wherever it may be and that we would always be speaking of the greatnesses of God. Speak. Pray. Pray that we will reap a harvest, a spiritual harvest. Pray for revival, for awakening in our town, not our church, in our town in our community. Pray that we would come together and do what it is that God has called us to do. Fill Andrew and the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. Speak. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and to enter to a moment where you would pray right now. And pray specifically about what it is that we have talked about this morning. You know, if you're here today and you're recognizing that that you've never actually given your life over to Christ, that you've never embraced the gospel that that secures forgiveness of sin, I mean, you can you can do so right now where you're sitting. Say, God, I'm a sinner, and I. I desire your grace and I I want you to come into my life. I want you to pour your spirit into my heart, Lord. So I, I turn away from that sin and I now give my life to you. If that's you, would you do that this morning right now? And if you are a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus. Are you filled with the spirit? Are you Asking God to fill you with the Spirit. Not for personal care, but for the sake of the mission of God. pray to God to give you boldness to speak of His mighty works. Ask God to use you in the lives of real people. That they would come to know the glories of His grace. Father, You You love us with an unshakable love and it cannot be doubted or disputed the, the thought Lord that You would not leave us in our sin that You would make a way for us to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness and then Lord on top of that to give of your own spirit to abide in us, Lord. There is nothing better. There is nothing greater. Lord, this, this mighty gift of your spirit, Lord, it is for our good. It does benefit us in our day. It, it helps us with a host of issues and problems and trials. But we know that it is not first and foremost for our comforts, Lord, but is for the sake of your glory. So, Lord, I confess that often I, I neglect these truths, that I neglect this gift. But, Lord, I pray for a revived passion with me, in me, and for our church family, Lord, that we would own this, that it would would drive us each and every day, Lord, that it would compel us to our knees in gratitude and compel us to action as we interact with others, Lord. May we be a loud church. May we be loud in our witness, Lord. And I pray that we would reap a harvest, that thousands would come to know you, and that you would be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.